Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Brandon Thurston from Wrestlenomics is up next. And we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Wrestling. Thank you and good afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data. Go on Google Trends, type in your name, then type in mine. You're a straight line. I'm a pyramid. I like the very direct question on that. Television ratings, downward spiral. Fire rate, plummeting. The time is now to turn the math around. Welcome to this week's edition of Pollock and Thurston. He is Brandon. I am John. Hello. We're both exhausted by this time as uh, January comes to an end. And here we are. Welcome back from your trip to Tampa, Brandon. I'm fine. I I was tired earlier in the, in the week, but I, I think I have recovered or, or at least passed by the opportunity to be tired. Well, that's good that you have, you have powered through. I mean, you were the Iron Man on Saturday night by not just... Uh, Sitting through the the four hour Royal Rumble event, the press conference, of course, that followed. But then the man gets all the way back to his hotel room, does a guest spot with myself and and waiting. How much? How many hours of sleep did you get on Saturday night slash into Sunday morning? Was it over or under three? Uh so I've done a few of these press conferences now, and I can never sleep right after them. They're too like there's too much happening. Um, you know, I I did the brawl out press conference. <laughs> I mean, we didn't even know everything that we would we would know in, uh, right away at that one. But I I went to sleep probably around three a.m. and then woke up around seven to get an Uber to the airport. So four hours. Did you go back and watch any of the press conference, or did you all just you absorbed it in real time? Didn't need to. I did watch it one more time. I've only watched it once. Yeah, yeah. I watched the and- Polovac portion again. Yeah. Days removed. I mean, there was uh, obviously, I think, granted a lot of criticism towards Paul Levesque in that in that specific setting. Is that sort of where you stand right now? Do you look back at it as sort of how it was handled? And, you know, if if they went in adequately prepared for what was going to be a dominant topic? Obviously, they weren't adequately prepared, or at least Paul was not. Um, Ultimately, I would think there's a lot of his own judgment in terms of am I prepared enough or I can't say for sure that there weren't PR people who were trying to prepare him better or that, you know, uh, who knows? Um, I feel like, wow, I got a lot of nice messages afterward for asking a simple question that I don't think was that hard to ask. And I appreciate everyone's nice comments. Um, there were, I believe seven questions asked Paul Levesque, only three of them were about this story. The others were about things that were less important. And I feel it's become clear to me that like, you know, Yes, there's all different people asking all different things. I don't need anybody to be on the same page as me when it comes to talking about attendance or TV ratings. But I think we do need need to be on the same page when it comes to sexual assault and sexual harassment in the workplace. And I just can't see any excuse for not asking about that. With the, the other four questions could have been about that as well. Yeah, I I can't buy for a second that Paul Levesque went into that press conference not thinking that would come up. And I think that was some people's reaction was, was he really going into this with the expectation that this might not come up like this? Let's not forget that not all that many months ago, uh, we saw the the report, I think it was from from Fightful about, um, you know, they were they were prepared to get CM Punk questions at a press conference, like they went in with that expectation and a game plan. 
So, I mean, that is, I mean, beyond trivial. And here we are, like, to me, this is, this is front, back and center of everything that they should have gone in there with the expectation of in, in front of the press. I just, um, and maybe, maybe Paul was just in the moment, just not comfortable asking or answering the question. This is his father-in-law. This is personal for him as well as professional. I get that. And that's, that's an understandable conflict, but at the same time, you are holding this position where you are the front-facing representative of this company in an executive capacity. And if you cannot fulfill that duty because of the familial ties, then maybe somebody else should be there in that seat facing the, the press that has gone through the lawsuit and is prepared to have something of a response. It is not as though this broke hours before the Royal Rumble on this crazy production day. You had multiple days. This was one of the biggest mainstream news stories of those from Thursday until Saturday night. Um, so while I can understand that he is uh, tied to Vince McMahon in a way that few are, um, that is that is the conflict that you have to be able to balance, not just on Saturday, but moving forward in in this entire case, too. Yeah. And, and I, I sort of mentioned this uh, when I was talking to you guys on Saturday night, but I think it's, you know, I can understand people being skeptical about what these press conferences really are. And I was too, before I attended one in, in terms of thinking that does WWE, you know, manipulate these situations so that they're, so that the questions being asked are exactly the questions that they want asked um, in, in three out of seven of the questions. Clearly that, that was not a question that they would have preferred to be asked. I would think, because I mean, Paul Levesque was not interested in, in, in talking about it, obviously. Um, but you know, I've been to three of these now and I've never had a problem getting access to them. They've, yeah, I've requested three times. I've been accepted three times. I've been at three press conferences. At each one, I asked a question about Vince McMahon that they would probably probably would prefer I did not ask. So this is not a case of WWE's PR team manipulating the situation so that only questions that they want to get asked get asked. It's not that. It's on the media to ask these questions, and you know they haven't cut me off yet. And I, I I'm going to try to to get access to the WrestleMania conference. So I intend to be there too. Do you expect there to be one in Australia next month? I would think so. I mean, they, they've done them in Puerto Rico, which is not that far from the continental US, obviously, but they did one for Money in the Bank, which is a big market for them. But I would think there's going to be enough media in Australia to, to make this happen. It's a stadium show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Off the stadium is, I mean, 40,000 plus uh, as well. So that, do you realize that show is going head to head with Okada's final match in New Japan is with it? a 5am 5, a 5 start time for WWE. So they will be the same time as that Sapporo card from New Japan. So Elimination Chamber is starting at 5am Eastern yes. time. Yeah, they're oh, live. And, and no way Okada could do both shows. No, no, that is, that <laughs> is not, not that far from you know, Australia, Japan. Maybe if we inquired with Hulk Hogan and his ability to manipulate the dateline, <laughs> maybe he could be in yeah. two places at once. He has uh, a time possibly. machine, I think. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okada might come up a little later on, but we do want to um, focus on this story. And I want to go back uh, some of the coverage of the past uh, couple of days on the Vince McMahon lawsuit. And as well, I want to revisit some comments that Nick Khan gave a year ago when he was on the Bill Simmons show and addressing Vince McMahon's initial uh, retirement slash resignation in the summer of 2022 and how this was couched just days after his return to the board of directors and his previous role. But first of all, let's check in with Matt Bellany and Lucas Shaw on the town podcast uh, discussing the uh, Netflix deal with WWE and th this cloud over the company's head after the allegations dropped in the lawsuit from Janelle Grant. Do you see the Vince McMahon awfulness as being any issue for this deal? I mean, it's the timing of it. If the lawsuit against McMahon and him stepping down and all of that, the allegations against him had come out even a week ago, I think it would have been a problem for this Netflix deal. But from my understanding, Netflix has communicated to WWE that, you know, Vince is out. Now they're going full steam ahead on this. Well, I think that the deal is one of the reasons you saw TKO move so swiftly to push him off the board or have him step down from the board. Because you remember, I mean, it was honestly insane that he was back at the company. This is someone who was... Oh, 
I mean, Vince McMahon has a record now. He's the first person to be canceled twice. Yeah. He resigned or took a leave of absence or whatever the hell it was a couple of years ago after all the reporting about the hush money he'd paid to people to settle some allegations or settle, settle some cases. He was able to come back because he ultimately controlled the company and because they wanted to sell it and nobody was going to say no. But this feels like the final straw. And as if he stays away, it's, you know, you're not going to, get too mad at, at Netflix for doing a deal with a valuable property so long as the guy's no longer involved. All right, we had to keep the whoosh in there to transition back. Um, but yes, that was uh, Matt Bellany and Lucas Shaw. And what you take from that is sort of what we have seen as probably the, the strategy from a TKO standpoint in that we have eliminated the problem in Vince McMahon and to its partners, the idea that it is self-contained to this problem in Vince McMahon, that was enough for Slim Jim to jump back on board after a 24-hour pause. And in the case of Netflix, it seems like that is the same positioning that they are taking, that this has been a suitable enough action, even though you can look at this being potentially just the beginning of a much deeper look into the company and who else is named in this lawsuit or unnamed in this lawsuit. Uh, you might be muted, Brandon. This lawsuit, which is suing Vince McMahon uh, and John Laurinaitis, and that's it, right? That they're not suing the company here. The company are defendants in this case. Okay, yes. and it's, it's an interesting point. We'll we'll, we'll have to ask uh, Michael McMahon, uh, Michael McCann, when, when he when he comes on later. I, I'm really curious to know whether or not they're all going to be defended by the same set of lawyers. But um, I think you know the, this is it's it's on its surface, which the vast majority of the public isn't going to look past the surface. If you're just getting rid of the key person here and Lauren Ice has been gone for a year or two now, but if you're just getting rid of Vince, maybe that, that feels like that's enough, but clearly he's Janelle Grant is accusing at least four executives with WWE of having knowledge and not doing anything about it. So is this points to a larger issue with the culture, according to her. That's a big part of this case is the fact that it is being done with the hopes that others come forward too. And um, as Brandon mentioned, we're going to be joined by uh, Michael McCann, who is a a lawyer and a sports legal expert at Sportico. And we're going to be talking about more of the, the legal questions and implications of this case as well as we uh, go in, into that direction. But yeah, I think that this is ultimately going to be the temperature that the company feels um, satisfied with in terms of what pushback do they receive uh, publicly, privately, at least from the stock point of view, Brandon. Like when we last spoke, we were looking at this um, as of last week that the stock was largely unmoved as a result of this. On Monday, there was a bit of a drop for the stock, but where do we stand now on uh, Wednesday afternoon, about an hour before the market closes today in relation to where the stock has moved. So the stock is at $84, which is down for the day by about 1%, but the indexes are down by roughly the same. Um, there was a day, so if we look at like the, for people watching in video, if we look at a one month view, um, there was a day a couple days ago where it did fall pretty hard. I believe on Monday um, it was down by 4%, but the very next day it was up by 3% and recovered most of the value that it lost. So this big spike up here, which is January 23rd, uh, where it closed at $89.63. That's the day that the Netflix deal was announced and that Dwayne Johnson is on the TKO board. Uh, it got as high as $89.63 that day. Uh, and it's been sort of going back down ever since, which is kind of what usually happens when you have some big news and, and the stock price really reacts positively, sort of come back down to earth in the following days. But point being, this stock has not really changed that much in value. It's it's about where you would expect it to be if this, you know, if this news never broke. So the next uh, people we're going to hear from are Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez on the Monday night edition of Wrestling Observer Radio. And this is from uh, Meltzer's reporting of people he has spoken to in terms of the implication of did others know uh, beyond this and as well the details of the lawsuit. So here is that they need to investigate and they need to. You know, not the one that they did the last time, and they need to find out. You know, again, it's like, who knew? Lots of people knew. You know, I mean, we know that. Um, but I mean, as far as, you know, what happened, 
um, or what has been happening or the culture there, you know, I mean, that's, uh, that's something that really needs to be coming out. I mean, because obviously there's, there's, there's a lot more. It's been around for a long, long time. Yes, it stops and ends with Vince McMahon. He was the guy at the top. But, um, as somebody said to me tonight, um, the whole place from every, from the walls and everything was, uh, you know, pretty much crawling with, you know, bad things and they need to blast that place up and they kind of do. Well, I mean, when you say that everybody knew, I mean, the, the question everybody is, knew certain things. Yeah. What did everyone know? Because everybody I don't, every- I don't think most people, I don't think virtually anybody knew the extent of what ended up in that 67 page lawsuit. I think a lot of not, people not, suspected not, that not, Vince not, had not, girlfriends and, you know, Laurinaitis, you know, I, I think, you know, there have been stories about stuff like that forever, but not to this degree. I mean, there was nobody, no. there was not one person that I talked to, and I talked to a lot of people that read the lawsuit and went, oh, you didn't know about that? Nobody said that. I mean, everybody I, I, was like, oh, I, my God. I had, I, had, I had one person who didn't even work for the company, but, you know, was best friends with someone who was, you know, with the company for de- for decades. And I said, like, man, it was like really, um, I learned, you know, there's a whole lot there that I'd never heard before. And just goes, why are you so naive? He goes, he goes like, you know, I was friends with X. And I knew all of it. Wow. So that certainly paints a picture of um, that. I mean, the degree of which, I mean, we can only uh, really speculate on of like how much this kind of permeated its way through the company. I think the idea of this being an open secret that Janelle Grant had laid out in the lawsuit in relation to this relationship with Vince McMahon. um, I think that has pretty clearly been identified. And then when we go into the details, I mean, if if you take a statement like that, that here is someone not even with the company that is not um, surprised by any of the contents of the lawsuit. I mean, that that does give you a pretty grim picture in terms of just how much was uh, known. Yeah, I, I do remember asking somebody maybe around the time that this that the original scandal broke in 2022, you know, sort of what what the culture was like and and being told that that the culture, you know, it, whatever problems are happening there was not their experience. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't, you know, that there wasn't, uh, that culture wasn't really bad in certain areas of the company. Um, but at least, you know, that wasn't everybody's experience was the impression that I got. Yeah. It, now that we have had several days, I mean, almost a week since this lawsuit came out, it has been, it, it's been hard not to notice what the reaction has been like within the industry, within those that have either worked for Vince McMahon in the past or work currently. Now, I'm not suggesting that talent that are currently in the company are going to be speaking out on this voluntarily, but I do think it does lend its itself to the nature of protecting the business that you are going to see of people that do have history with Vince McMahon or are just within the fraternity of professional wrestling. And instead of this being something of, um, you know, calling, calling attention to problems, to facilitate change, to improve um, the internal culture, it is more so a back against the wall sort of response. And I mean, there have been some, there have been some that have spoken up um, that have been just repulsed by what this is, but it's, it's not as though um, people are raising their hand to, step up and and comment on this in in any meaningful way beyond a handful no i will say it is different in terms of we're not getting people saying wow no matter what you think about this man you got you you got to appreciate what you know what he did from a business perspective we haven't seen that we haven't seen people saying thank you vince for all your your years of service and we appreciate you in your retirement just Um, put legendary in front of his name yeah yeah we we, no no none of those you're right that's a great point is that while you're not getting uh, condemnation of Vince, you're also not getting the "Hey, but he was good to me" type of support either. Like and no one is no one is stepping out to support this individual either. Yeah, because in in 2022 we had a number of NDAs that were reported and, and essentially confirmed by the company. Uh, we knew that there were 
I believe seven women who accused him of various kinds of sexual misconduct over the years. Uh, what we didn't have was, other than Rita Chatterton at the time, uh, we didn't have a, a face and a name accusing him in detail of what Janelle Grant accuses him of in that 67-page complaint. And no one that can cling to the consensual description right. that it was so thrust um, by yeah. defenders. We, we had comments, Grant. including from Jericho on, on a podcast, and not his own podcast, but somebody else's podcast, saying that the, these were making it sound like these were just affairs, and they, they made an NDA deal to make it go away, and, and that was it. No, this was clearly, uh, according to, to Janelle Grant, uh, a long relationship with a series of, of sexual assaults and trauma. It's you know, it makes me think of the the Ray Rice case from a number of years ago where um, this domestic violence incident was reported on. But it was once that video was put out and people could visually see it, it just became there was there was no wiggle room if you were a defender of Ray Rice when you see this video. And I think in this case, it was. Listen, if you want to like, I, I thought it was pretty appalling what the initial allegations were. I mean like one of them like coercion into oral sex i mean these were like i i don't know i guess the, the, just the the depth of the details we got in this case and to your point a name and a face attached to it it's it, it's made it that much harder that even the most ardent supporter of a vince mcmahon i think is you know sitting this one out yeah i think it sort of speaks to how people consume news and media is that people get the 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 vague gist of it um and in 2022 that's what they got that there were ndas and there was hush money being paid um and and the headlines in this case are are different and are more graphic yeah and i want to go back to some of these uh, comments this was from a year ago on the bill simmons podcast when nick Khan appeared and this was right after vince mcmahon had made his return onto the board of directors using his uh, controlling shares to be able to get back onto the board. And what we saw over this past year, Brandon, was not just a, like, Vince McMahon forced his way back and there was some, you know, uh, protest against Vince McMahon, but we subtly did see a semi-rehabilitation of his image, and that went to the freedom that a Nick Khan and Pat McAfee had just two days before this lawsuit drops, and they are speaking of this this genius figure who's just uh, this eclectic like operator of this company that is a genius. The WWE was marketing. We, we all wouldn't be here if not for him. The WWE is marketing a Royal Rumble t-shirt in honor of his Royal Rumble win in 1999. That was pulled after this lawsuit came out. The Netflix documentary series, like all these things. It's not as though like Ar Ari Manuel sat next to him and said, oh, my God, yes, I, I needed him to stay with the company. The biggest example is Ari Emanuel not just um, going along to bring Vince McMahon, but demanding, giving up equity in this in this merger in terms of having Vince McMahon's involvement. So this first clip is Bill Simmons asking Nick Khan about Vince McMahon's initial decision to step away in July of 2022 amidst the reporting in The Wall Street Journal of various NDAs. So I think it was always my point of view, always Stephanie's point of view. At some point, he would come back. I think the way that he played it to me was smart, Bill, in that he went away for five, six months, uh, which people, meaning the audience, seems to like uh, when somebody does that. And he came back and took control back of his company as a control shareholder. So it is the public's company as a publicly traded company. But with that controlling share, uh, gave him a lot of authority and he used it. And I applaud him for doing so. So at that time, um, I mean, this was almost presented as like this was a, this was a brilliant strategy on Vince McMahon's part. And I'm going to also preface Nick Khan is in a position where this is the public message that he is going to have to put out there. Whether these are his true feelings, I mean, that can be regardless, but. Those are his public comments that his name is attached to. And I do feel you have to own your comments past and present. And this is not as though this lawsuit came out last Thursday and suddenly we were aghast. Like all of this was um, like these were allegations that had been reported on. And to look at it as though this was just a, a PR sabbatical, um, I think you're naturally going to have people even today that are going to question the legitimacy of a Vince McMahon truly divorced from TKO and WWE. Ronda Rousey's questioning it. 
Exactly. If Ronda Rousey brings that up, and I, I don't have any reason to believe Vince McMahon has any connection, but if you are on the outside looking in, you pretty much, if your Nick Khan had stated, listen, everyone knew he was going to come back. This was a smart PR strategy. Go away for a few months, and then you are brought back in. I mean, you have to look at that as your public message of a year ago, and now when this guy is beyond radioactive, I think you're not going to have as much faith in whatever this company comes out with because you do have 12 months uh, to just go and look at how they, they assess that period in 2022. Yeah, I, I, I think we were critical of Nick Khan at the time when he did that interview and how obsequious he was to, to Vince McMahon and, and to say he could, could have said a lot of things and he and could have said that, you know, he, he has the, the right to do this and, and that, you know, that's his right to come back. He has controlling share. He has 81 percent of the vote. Uh, that's his power and that's his right. But he didn't have to say that he played it smart and that I applaud him for, for coming back. Um, that's, and, you know, and, and, and Nick Khan is one of the, the, the officers who I think we need to ask, what did you know? And when did you know it? When did you become aware for the first time that uh, there were, you know, that there was at least, at least an inappropriate relationship. It doesn't seem even Vince is denying that there was an inappropriate relationship between himself and Janelle Grant. We have our guest coming up in a couple of minutes, but this is the last clip from the Bill Simmons show last year. This was being asked about Vince uh, staging his return to the board of directors and his role after the board had unanimously voted for him not to return and Vince getting a chuckle out of that and stating, well, that's nice that you're going to have a vote. I'm going to overrule your vote. Were you surprised that he's started to inch his way back? No, no, that, that's Vince. Yeah. Anyone who knows him who thought with a tweet, because I think he tweeted, you know, hey, I'm 77 now, time for me to call it a day or something to that effect, you know, when he stepped down. Anyone who believed that was permanent doesn't know him. That was never going to happen. Uh, but I'm appreciative of the fact that he gave it the five, six months, let the dust settle a little bit, and then coming back in the way that he's come back. How much... Okay, that was uh, Bill Simmons. He was just uh, caught, caught mid-thought. He wanted to get back to us. Um, but essentially, yes, that was uh, Nikon again in January of 2023 when Vince McMahon had just come back to the company. And um, I, I think it's important to look at how this was handled and and explained by the company a, as well in terms of, um, you know, it was not as though this board welcomed him back with open arms, but was in a position where, I mean, he forced his way back in and. And now I think there is going to be a lot of fallout in terms of that, um, the handling, what was known and questions about this independent investigation that I think will persist in terms of exactly what was known in that investigation and how, how deep did they dig in and what, what does Jeffrey Speed mean by outreach to Janelle Grant and her representation? Yeah. And, um, as far as people making public comments, I mean, especially in contrast to, to Paul Levesque, uh, we, we saw the the comment that the, the Bella twins, or I don't know if we should call them the, the Garcia twins made, um, who are in a remarkably, I mean, not, not from a professional level around executives at WWE, obviously, but they're, you know, their, their father-in-law, John Laurinaitis is, is involved in this. And they made a, a, a statement uh, a few days ago, which is we are shocked and disheartened with the recent allegation against recent allegations against members of the WWE. Uh, it has been a lot to process since we found out this past week, just as you all did. This is something we don't stand for or condone from anyone, no matter who they are. Uh, and I, I don't think it would be, you know, stepping on anything if Polovec made a very similar comment on Saturday, but he, he did, did not. At this time, we're going to bring in our special guest who has been uh, covering this story. He is a senior sports legal expert at Sportico. Joining us now is Michael McCannon. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. You got it. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to start here that. Our audience, they have processed um, th this lawsuit in the horrific details that has been outlined in. At this stage of things, what are the next steps that we're looking towards specifically for the defenders in this case and, and where things will be moving towards in terms of the, the next uh, steps in the process? Yeah, it, it will take some time to play out. So the next steps would be answering the complaint. McMahon and uh, WWE will answer the complaint and deny the allegations. So that's the first step in responding to a complaint is a denial. And then subsequent to that, they'll likely petition for a motion to dismiss. And the dismissal will probably raise several arguments, uh, one of which I imagine is the arbitration clause 
that's in the NDA, which I think will end up being a pretty important feature of this. It's not going to attract as many headlines because of what was alleged in the complaint, but to the extent it's enforceable and it prevents the plaintiff from moving forward, it would mean that the lawsuit's dismissed to arbitration. Now, there's a law, the Speak Out Act that President Biden signed into law in 2022 that restricts the use of NDs and, and arbitration provisions when they concern sexual harassment or sexual assault. The NDA itself, though, doesn't reference sexual harassment. So there'll be arguments going back and forth on that. And uh, this will take some time to play out. And Michael, thanks for joining us. Um, so I've been looking at the at the docket, and it looks like all three parties, the defendants, were served on January 26th. So then they, they now have 21 days to to answer, is that right? And that would put the, their, their deadline to answer if it doesn't get extended to February 16th. Yeah, that, that, that math sounds right. And there are extensions, so it wouldn't be unusual if that deadline isn't met. There are a variety of reasons why that could happen, but that's most likely. And then beyond that, there would be a motion to dismiss filed sometime thereafter. What would be the criteria for the judge to believe that arbitration is the right avenue to go down? Is it just going to be simply his interpretation of the language in the NDA, or are there extenuating factors that he'll take into consideration? Yeah, and the, the, the use of arbitration, I mean, this is really an employment law dispute at its heart. I mean, it sort of is couched as something bigger than that, but it's really an employment law dispute. And like Brian Flores going against the NFL, it's, it's a there's sort of a symmetry there in looking at the role of arbitration that has limited his lawsuit. Here, the judge will look at whether or not this agreement, the NDA, is enforceable. And the key question there is going to be, when looking at the federal law, the Speak Act, which prohibits the use of NDAs when they concern sexual harassment, did this agreement concern sexual harassment? Now, Anne probably will say, no, this was a, this was a general termination agreement. She was leaving the company. And there's no reference there's to sexual harassment. There's no admission of any sort of guilt in it. There's no, I mean, no even, you know, loose reference to uh, any sort of harassment. Now, the, the counter argument that Grant will probably argue is, of course, this is about sexual harassment. You paid me $75,000 to $200,000 a year. Why are you now agreeing to a termination where I get $3 million, right? It's, it, that, that's an enormous amount of money. We'll leave a company if they're making $100,000. It's, it's, I don't know if anyone that gets paid $3 million, right? So, so obviously that money was for something and the judge has to walk through that. Uh, and, and thinking about there's three different parties here. There's obviously there's Vince McMahon, who's now resigned from all positions at TKO and WWE. There's John Laurinaitis, who was terminated in 2022 from WWE. And there's WWE itself. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on whether, uh, you know, how likely it is that all the defendants' interests are going to be aligned and are they actually going to be represented by the same set of attorneys? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, so I think their interests are largely aligned, at least at this point. And I say that because the, the sort of evidence involves all of them. And the pool of evidence would include emails, texts, witness statements. They have an incentive to collaborate on this. And, and the fact that it's a civil matter and not a criminal matter is also important. That if this were a criminal matter, sometimes there's the, the prisoner's dilemma, right, where you want to cut a deal with prosecutors first before the other people in a conspiracy do that. This is different. This is a civil matter. And it's not to downgrade it, but the stakes are really about money, not about any sort of a criminal sanction. So I think at this point, my guess is that their interests are aligned. Now that could change as time goes on. Whether they use their own attorneys, uh, given their wealth, this, there's probably a good chance they do use separate attorneys. It's usually advisable. Uh, when I've been involved with litigations, I think it's usually a good idea to have separate attorneys when you have multiple defendants. And their, although their interests overlap, there is a chance there, there could be some disagreement. For instance, specifically with McMahon, uh, did WWE meet its duties to shareholders and how they handled him? I mean, that, that's a separate. That, that's a question that WWE, its response, could reveal. Oh, yeah, we did this to him. We did that to him. That could put McMahon in a bad light. So their interests aren't entirely aligned, but I think they're largely aligned at least at this point. 
And, and just thinking about the fact that we know that there is a, and I, as far as I know, still ongoing, a federal grand jury investigation into something relate, related to Vince McMahon, according to W's own filings last year. Does this, the fact that this lawsuit is out, tell us anything about the future of, of that investigation in terms of, you know, does it rule out that he won't be indicted? No, I, I, I don't think it tells us anything in terms of likelihood of an indictment. I think uh, the longer time goes, if there's no action on an indictment, if the grand jury doesn't act usually within 18 months, it's probably not going to happen. And I don't know when that grand jury process began. I don't know where they're at. Grand juries the, the are was served as, on him. July 17th, 2023 is when the, the search warrant was executed on him. So it probably started then before that, right? Because they would have already formed the grand jury. So let, let's assume it's, I don't know, a year in, something like that. So it's still within the realm that there could be an indictment. But you know, grand juries are conducted in secret. We They're they notorious. I, I remember you know, my criminal law professor would say uh, they're totally unfair because they're run by the prosecutor. And if prosecutor really wants someone indicted, they're presenting the evidence. They're, the, the role of the defense is fairly limited. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen on that. I don't think this lawsuit is a precursor to an indictment, nor does it rule out indictment. Yeah. And, and just to add some detail, the Wall Street Journal did report when when Vince resigned in July 2022, they, they reported at the time that that was you know what encouraged him to resign was that there were uh, SEC and U.S. attorney investigations happening at that time. So I suppose it could be, you know, coming up on a year and a half or something like that. I don't know if that's the same investigation, though. Yeah, the tricky part there is the, the investigation would usually precede the grand jury. So it's just it's hard to know. Okay. Based on the gap between those things. Michael, just uh, in terms of the, the reaction from Vince McMahon himself, he, he has put out a statement uh, denying these allegations, but at the same time, also stepping down as its executive chairman. From his perspective, does that resignation, I mean, is that going to be viewed in terms of, you know, you are both maintaining your innocence, but at the same time, stepping down because of the you know, undo uh, backlash that this ha- has caused. Like, what do you think went into um, kind of the the legal positioning by opting to resign while also denying these claims? Yeah, John, I think I think you summarized it well. That he really has two objectives. One is to continue to deny the allegations. Right. That that's the most important step for him is to say this: the the, the claims of unlawful acts did not occur. He's going to have to explain these texts that allegedly occurred. Now, again, we haven't seen them, so we got to give the defense a chance to respond. But one goal, of course, is to deny that there was any unlawful acts. And then secondarily, I mean, it's a distraction for the company, right, to have the face of your entity accused of some really awful things. So at the same time, the, the company probably doesn't want him connected to it, that it, it, it's a bad look for the company. It's a publicly traded company. So him resigning likely accomplishes the goal of trying to create some distance. Although I, I think it's going to be hard to create distance given his fame that, you know, everyone sort of associates him with WWE and long have. So I don't know if, if reputationally it's going to have a big effect, but legally it, it makes sense for him to continue to deny uh, and separate himself. Now, when you separate yourself, sometimes there's risk, right? Because you're no longer connected to a group that's part of the litigation. And to the extent, going back to uh, the earlier question about are their interests aligned, maybe that creates a little bit more friction because he's not part of the same group. Uh, I, I don't know if that's going to happen. I, he clearly still has a lot of ties. So maybe that's not much of an issue. It's, it's hard to know looking from the outside in. Right. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. How about from just the, the shareholders' perspective? I mean, are will will they need, to, if, if there is a concern from shareholders about, you know, the the decision by Endeavor to include Vince McMahon with, with this merger. Are we looking at things like the stock has largely been unchanged amidst all of this chaos of the past week? And, you know, we had a, a sponsor in Slim Jim that was temporarily out and then back in after Vince McMahon's resignation. So, I mean, do you look at this as like the, the shareholder perspective of this? You are going to have to need to see some tangible damages from this versus the company in their mind doing whatever they have been able to do by removing Vince McMahon from this equation. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely right. We we have not seen the stock price lower. I mean, I get it's hovering around whatever is 86 or something like that. And, but it's been like that for a while. It doesn't appear as if last week had some major change in the price that you would sometimes expect if there's a big scandal with the company. And that, that speaks to the strength of the company. And that they, they have a certain sense of brand power that goes beyond McMahon. That if, if you think about it, the, the worst media attention for this lawsuit is likely at the beginning. Now, maybe one day there'll be more. There'll be other there'll be other pieces of evidence that surface. But the worst news cycle is at the start, and that they were able to withstand that. It seems uh, is certainly something they're probably encouraged by. In terms of you know, w- will that change? I guess it remains to be seen. The shareholders, I, I think, have a right to ask, what was, why was he able to come back? Uh, were, were enough steps taken to remove him? Those are fair questions. Now, there may be an explanation that he controlled the entity and that, that at the end of the day, it's hard to kind of get around that fact. So that presents a challenge as well. And in thinking about the fact that this lawsuit filed by filed by Janelle Grant is a civil lawsuit. Um, something that you know listeners have been asking us about is whether there will be criminal charges filed. And it, my impression is that that might become, if, if, it, if he does get indicted, that that might be part of an indictment. Um, and, and let me know if I'm right about this, that the burden of proof for a civil case is lower. So it's easier to make a case in a, in a, as a civil uh, lawsuit than it would be as in, in criminal court. That's exactly right. That's right, Brendan. So we have no idea if this is going to become a, a criminal matter. There's, filing of a civil lawsuit is by no means a, a precursor to a criminal act. Sometimes it can be. Uh, we've seen that with some some recent uh, issues in terms of, terms of uh, sort of those in Hollywood. But in terms of in general, it, it, this does not mean that there will be charges. If there's a grand jury and there's an indictment, that could change. But it is easier to win a civil lawsuit. In a criminal case, ultimately, a jury has to be persuaded beyond a reasonable doubt. That's a super high threshold. And prosecutors normally are, are reticent to bring cases if they feel like the, the chance of getting that kind of uh, verdict is, is unsure. So here, without having seen the evidence, uh, I, well, I, the, the risk to this case, though, to McMahon is that if this does lead to evidence that suggests uh, things were really bad, uh, that could potentially be detrimental to him in terms of the possibility of a criminal charge. But you know, we're not anywhere near that yet. There's, it will take a denial of a motion to dismiss before pretrial discovery occurs. And pretrial discovery would be the sharing of evidence, the sharing of emails, texts, witness statements, getting WWE people under oath, getting McMahon under oath. Uh, these are things that would happen later on, uh, months from now, probably. My last question, Michael, as it relates to other women that have signed NDAs, and part of this case was the hope that others will come forward for those individuals that have NDAs. Let's, for the sake of argument, assume it's similar language as Janelle Grant's, but they have been paid in full. Would they be t- putting themselves at great risk if they were to come forward now? Um, where there is not an interrupt in, 
interrupting of the payments. They have been paid in full. Um, what, what kind of um, are, are they in a position where they could come forward right now from a legal standpoint? They could. The Speak Out Act really goes to this issue of mm -hmm. NDAs that are designed to basically hide sexual harassment or worse. I don't know whether they will. I, mean, I think that that's going to be interesting. Part of this is what happens if there are others that come. And without, you know, without knowing the details of those NDAs and the circumstances, it's hard to know. But uh, I guess we'll see on that. It's an interesting question. Well, Michael, it's a... It's a, it's a very, very big uh, subject. Uh, I hope that we can uh, pick this conversation up down the road. We really appreciate you uh, jumping on and uh, informing us of kind of the, the legal picture here as you uh, explain to all of our viewers as well as the two of us. You got it. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, Mike. You can uh, read uh, Michael McCann at McCann Sports Law on X and over at Sportico.com uh, as well. So um, I think the... It's very interesting on the the side of the the criminal charges, and I think that is going to be the ultimate question that so many are going to be coming back to and asking about in terms of the civil case. And is this the extent that these accusations are going to go? Where, as Michael explained, like the civil case, like it it is essentially this is about money, but these outlines, these allegations are um, like the, these are crimes that are being alleged and whether it is a a grand jury investigation or um or other entities that that are looking at this i mean there is a a huge spotlight on on this story and the further this case goes i think it's going to be that much more damaging for the defendants involved yeah i mean if if you read the complaint these are a, a number of allegedly very serious crimes and uh you know we know that there are other women who have ndas with them for various uh, allegations of sexual misconduct. So it's, uh, you know, according to multiple purported victims, it's not limited to to just one person. Okay. We have a couple of uh, super chats that we're going to get to in relation. We'll answer these as best we can from a glass door gamer. Thank you for the super chat. Bruce Rivers thinks this goes to jury and WWE will be prosecuting. It won't be settled and punitive damages could be in the hundreds of millions. I'm not familiar with Bruce Rivers, but uh, in terms of the, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a theory. I mean, it's, it's one that I, um, I mean, it really depends. It is on, on the side of the plaintiffs. I mean, this is, um, I think people have to keep in mind the idea of how much, um, psychologically going through a case like this is for the plaintiff involved and the idea of potentially like years of litigation before and an appeal and how much you are going to be front and center attached to this with your name, your face, these allegations. And it, you can absolutely understand why many victims opt to remain anonymous and just hope that this all disappears and goes away. It, so, um, people are letting us know that Bruce Rivers is a, uh, is a famous YouTube lawyer. Okay. Well, there, there you have it, Bruce Rivers. So, I mean, that, that's his thought. Let us go to Pete in Texas with the new NDA laws being signed by the Biden administration in 2022. Can NDAs prior to 2022 be deemed invalid due to sexual assault? That's my understanding is that there is a period now that you can go back to and um, that, that they cannot be in, enforced. It is not as though it's just from this period onward. I mean, this um, this NDA in question that we're talking about would have been signed in January of 2020. Uh, 22 right yeah before the um allegations for, first came out but um that's that christopher writes in what attempts will be made to uncover vince's enablers within wwe i.e the people with knowledge of these hideous acts or will they try to bury this well as michael explained i mean if this gets to the point of depositions i mean there will be there will be subpoenas there will be um I mean, there could be a very like, especially if we're talking about the potential of a of a grand jury investigation, uh, there will be no stone left unturned if we're if we're talking about that level of uh, investigation into all of this. Now, on a civil case, I mean, this is going to be, um, you know, those involved that might be deposed. Um, and you but, would think that the, the incentive on the defendant side to settle this so it doesn't get to that would be very high. Uh, but I, it, it all depends on you know, if they try to settle it, how much is Janelle Grant willing to settle for? Or does she want to see this through? 
Uh, next up is uh, Louis. What is the role of wrestling media in covering this issue versus mainstream media? And how does such a niche media space deal with such a sensitive issue? Um, um, I, I mean, it's all ultimately, I think that it is, you know, just varying degrees of how you expect uh, coverage. I mean, the fact is uh, we can, I think, dedicate a lot more time and resources. Well, I won't say resources, but at least time uh, to the story. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's ultimately, listen, this is, this is happening because there are um, major outlets out there that have the ability to um, engage in, in reporting of this level that have the backing uh, of this from a legal standpoint. I mean, there's a reason that this um, takes that weight when you have a wall street journal, like an enterprise journalistic outlet like the Wall Street Journal that can that can properly report out a, a story of this magnitude. Yeah, I think you know the um, I think we have similar responsibilities. I guess the the big question, and I think I remember saying this about a year and a half ago. We probably wrote an article about it about how it's really up to the mainstream media to see how seriously they take this. Do they pursue it, or is it the same old? You know, the sports media doesn't want to follow this because it's fake wrestling and, and the entertainment media doesn't want to follow it because it's low brow entertainment and the, the more general mainstream media doesn't want to cover it because it's, you know, it's, it's silly wrestling. I would say, you know, you, you tell me what you've seen, John. I, I, I've seen less um, silly B-roll of Vince McMahon during this story, right? Because now we have r- really detailed descriptions of, of really terrible, uh, you know, sexual assaults. Um, no puns, so, like which... It sounds silly, but you were still seeing those like in 2022, like it was still like the, Hey, this is still the circus. Let's all remember that. I've seen way less of that this time around. And I mean, it's like Vince McMahon has like you run B roll of Vince McMahon. Like it's typically it's, you know, it's, it's him getting his head shaved with, with uh, Donald Trump and such. I mean, this is someone that, um, like this is a very serious story. And I've definitely seen like that degree of more, um, more of a serious tone attached to this. Not to say that in 2022, it was a joke, but it was, you could still see some places covering this and it was still the sideshow wrestling spectacle that somehow skirts by real world criticism. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of conversation around, you know, whether people are doing reporting or whether they're content creators and, and I think that's all well and good until we get to a very serious story like this, where, the people who have the platforms that disseminate the information, including us have more of a responsibility in cases like this to cover stories with the seriousness that, that, that they demand. Um, and I think if there are outlets that are not, you know, that are, you know, not covering the story, but are on, have a wrestling beat and they're not doing that much to cover it. I think they're doing a disservice to, to the industry um, that, you know, may have a very serious, you know, deep institutional problem and a, and a work culture that supports things like what are alleged in this lawsuit. Yeah. And I mean, there is also the fact of connecting the dots between this right now, which I mean, let's, you read this case, like it is painting a picture of, of a cultural issue at WWE. And for those that do the legwork and link this back to the child sex scandal of the early nineties. I mean, there's, there's a lot of history to all of this and putting and all of Lee, these. Lee Cole had a, a, a video that he posted of him, you know, giving a long, I think it was like 17, 20 minute statement. Yeah. This is, this is the older brother of Tom Cole, who was at, at the forefront of the sex scandal of the early nineties and took his life several years ago. Uh, it's a, it's a tragic story. And, um, I'll, I've mentioned this before, but, um, our friends Chris Zellner and David Bixenspan have put out their Titan Gate series. It's a four-part series that they have put up for free at patreon.com slash between the sheets. It's it's an invaluable resource to learn that story, both from sort of a chronological standpoint as it was happening beginning in 1992, the reporting, the mainstream coverage of it, and why it was it, how this went from a case about underage ring boys being being assaulted and turning into the steroid distribution charges that kind of this gets remembered as from the early 90s but they put these shows up for free on their patreon i would 
highly recommend everyone listen to this because understanding the history and being through a case like this that they came out of and and soared in the late 90s and here we are and this is again being you know all these years later 30 years later and looking underneath and seeing what is what is the culture of this company is this limited to one or two individuals or is this something that this was a like again you don't want to assign uh, blame to others there but what was being fostered and what was being whether it was just people deciding to be quiet about things not feeling that they were even in a position to call out discretions that maybe they were privy to as well these are all things that need to be asked and and investigated yeah, I definitely agree with what you said that those are, I think those came out maybe around a year ago uh, from, from David Vixen's fan and Chris Zellner. And, you know, nobody's poured through the research uh, of many things, including uh, that story like they have. All right. We are going to wrap things up before we get on out of here. Wouldn't be a full Pollock and Thurston without a few ratings notes. We go back to Saturday, Brandon, and there were 300,000 viewers, an average that did tune in to Collision, that chose Collision over the Royal Rumble, 0.06 in the 1849 demographic. And as I go through the, the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet, women 18 to 34 decided, you know what? We're going to be the one uptick in audience this week. They went from 15,000 to 19,000, the one area that was not a, um, a gigantic loss from the prior week. But still down compared to the last four weeks. That's Everything true. was down here. Still yeah. down. I mean, this was the uh, the lowest Saturday night audience for an episode of Collision. There was one Friday night episode back in November that was lower, but nothing right. ever, even including that Friday night show in the 18 to 49 demo, lower. I mean, we knew this was going to be a bludgeoning on yeah. Saturday night. It was, and this will probably be a similar picture come uh, April for night one of WrestleMania. Yeah. Um Eugene Nagata couldn't couldn't hold this one up. That's a shame. I, I'm I'm disappointed in people not tuning in to see Eugene Nagata. Um, but it it you know the first one was was SummerSlam the first uh, PLE that they went against. I know yes. Money, well Money in the Bank was earlier in the day. So, yeah, yeah, SummerSlam was in yeah. head to head. But. Head to head, yeah. And we've seen just like in Money in the Bank, which aired earlier in the day, uh, not at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that seemed to have an effect too, based on the the Saudi Arabia event that was also earlier in the day having an effect on, on Collision. Yeah, I mean it really speaks to you know what this rating is going to look like uh, in April when it goes head to head with Night One of WrestleMania. Um, yeah, I mean. There's not that many other nights that aren't occupied with with primetime wrestling. And in fact, I think only only sad, uh, Sunday night is the one that's available. So, and I'm not sure if that's that much better. So, um, I expect it to to probably have that new low record get broken uh, on night one of WrestleMania. At least before WrestleMania for Collision, they are somewhat in the clear. This this weekend, NXT has a Sunday night uh, premium live event, so they won't be going head to head with that. The Australia show is same day, but as we mentioned, is at 5 a.m. in the morning. I'm very curious to see how that works out, if, to see if it, if it does have an effect. Because we've seen in two instances where, again, earlier in the day, it still had an effect. Yeah, you could have your fans that just, it's uh, Elimination Chamber, Okada's Farewell, and then you cap off the day with Collision. Like, what more could you ask for on, on a given day? Raw on Monday night, which had the first hour commercial free, uh, do, doing 1,909,000 viewers, the most watched Raw since June, and doing a 0.61 in the demo. Um, I mean, for, first hour was over 2 million viewers that opened up with CM Punk announcing that he's not going to be going to WrestleMania. Uh, but the peak segment reserved for Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, as you can see on uh, Brandon's quarter hour breakdown. Yeah, so this was, like you said, a, a commercial-free hour one, although we do have an ad break marked here for uh, the very last quarter hour of hour one. Um, so I think they might have squeezed one in for hour one uh, at the very end. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, the, the, the Cody Rhodes and, and Seth Rollins segment did really well. It grew the audience by 10%. It was the peak in total viewership and the demo. Also benefited from no commercial breaks. Um, yeah, the, the, the third hour. Uh, went down more than usual, but I don't know. You could say that that wasn't just because the first hour was did did a an average that was so much better than usual because of um, 
the lack of ads. Um, in terms of this being a post a post pay per view uh, raw, this did about usual in terms of the bump that it does. So I've, I have a table uh, where I show you know how much of a bump was this versus the trailing four weeks, and this was pretty much what you would expect for a uh, for a post. Royal Rumble show. If I can put this on the screen fast enough, there it is. Um, so this did versus the last four weeks. So we're looking at the demo here, which is a little more volatile and maybe a little bit more, you know, hard to hang on to. This was up 39% in the demo versus the trailing four weeks, which is actually a lot better than it was last year. So you could say, I guess that maybe this was even better than usual. Um, and I don't know if you're going to talk about SmackDown, but SmackDown was up as well. Um, I wanted I to ask you the news. That's what I wanted to ask you in terms of, yes, it was the night before the Royal Rumble, but this was the first show after everything broke with Vince McMahon and his resignation occurred during the body of SmackDown on top of it. Right. I guess I just ask, like, like I understand the nature to maybe that prompts you to tune into SmackDown, but I just, happened, I cannot. It happened in the summer of 2022 also. Remember, uh, SmackDown was way up. He appeared on it, of course, and was advertised to appear on it. And then Raw the following Monday, he made a surprise appearance for, but it was it was up regardless. And then even NXT had a better they rating all than received usual. Bumps afterwards, and I mean, I looked at that somewhat as the first one being Vince did promote himself being on the show. Like for this one, I'm just like Vince ain't showing up, and there ain't a prayer they're addressing this on on the show either. But I guess there's still that that curiosity factor on on top of it. But yeah, and yeah, I remember they, saying at the time, it just maybe it's just puts WWE more at top of mind for people. And that leads to more people than usual tuning in. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it was um, what their largest audience since um, last September. I think the Rock and Pat McAfee show. Are we talking about SmackDown here? Yeah, I think it was Uh, September. So anyway, it was largest show in in months for SmackDown going into the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Highest uh, P2, highest total since September 15th, highest demo since August 25th. And lost in everything. We never got the Royal Rumble press release. We didn't get like a viewership percentage. We didn't nothing coming out of this Royal Rumble, did we? No, nothing. They should really should have uh, put out a positive press release to to try to offset some of the negative press that they're getting. Well, maybe the idea of putting a press release out and uh, touting our amazing week was maybe not the right call to make on <laughs> Monday. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's the right choice. Yeah. All right. Um, last thing, let's just note on uh, Kazuchika Okada. So there was uh, a, a lot of uh, concern because Pro Wrestling Tees announced Okada's merch is coming down. Uh, it has been uh, noted the fact that this is more so uh, an indication of New Japan merchandise that they cannot continue to offer for Okada should not be taken as a signal of where the individual is going. Although Fightful just had a report go up about, um, you know, companies being in, in talks with him and his his deal is actually up now if you uh, figure in the uh, the time change in Japan because January 31st was the last day on his contract. He has three matches that he will continue to uh, perform in February for New Japan. But after that, February 24th date, uh, that, that will be it in New Japan. And he's going to land somewhere. Is Game Changer going to just come in at the last second? Nick Gage, Rainmaker. Could be Game Changer, Pro- Game Changer Wrestling. It could be NWA. You can't rule out MLW. Um, you know, the list goes on. NWA. I mean, there's all these options out there. The, the CW kicks in, uh, in, uh, in Toronto. I mean, who knows? All possibilities uh, for one. Kazuchika Okada. All right. Well, we want to thank Michael McCann for joining us, as do we want to thank you, the listener, the viewer out there, for stopping by tonight. Wei Ting and I are back with Rewinded Dynamite. We'll be here on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel at 10.05 p.m. Eastern time for the show uh, in New Orleans. That is uh, taking place tonight. Brandon, you had a, uh, a great show on Sunday, kind of going through your own experiences at the Royal Rumble press conference and continuing to go through the Vince McMahon case. And for those that want to, Check out Brandon this coming Sunday. Are we back to the regular oh, Sunday yeah. morning? Can I sit back with my coffee and listen to WrestleNomics? And you know what? Actually, it's free for everyone this coming Sunday. It'll be free oh, on YouTube right. and all, all the platforms for everybody just to sample. And if you like it, uh, you can subscribe. You, actually, you can actually sign up for a trial even. But if you eventually get charged $5 a month. Uh, and you get access to that Sunday show every week, as well as all my TV ratings reports, the viewership spreadsheet that we were just looking at a moment ago, and and anything else I post on Patreon. Yeah, I don't want to make this too um, 
self-deferential. Uh, but when we get the question about sort of like niche wrestling outlets out there, I mean, quite honestly, it is because of people supporting like sites like WrestleNomics that allow Brandon to go to a show like the Royal Rumble to have a seat and to get those questions in. So, I mean, you have a lot of power just to support these like niche wrestling outlets um, that if you enjoy the work, um, not to say like, listen, I am appreciative of anyone who tunes in free or, or otherwise, but like this is not outlets that we have these giant companies behind us that are funding these yeah. sites. Like these are, it's ones not my that... personal money that I use. It's your money. Yes. Um, Seriously. <laughs> so patreon.com slash wrestlenomics, uh, patreon.com slash post wrestling. If you uh, enjoy our coverage, uh, that is where you can support the various outlets. This, uh, this co-branding of uh, Pollock and Thurston, but that's going to wrap things up again. Thank you to Michael McCann. We're back next Wednesday, unless something breaks. And then you know what? The bat signal goes up and Brandon and I jump on one show this week, tentatively, but you never we'll know. You, you have three last week to catch up on, but that's it for us. Thank you for tuning in to Pollock and Thurston. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.